Welcome back, Stephen. Welcome back, Erica. We've watched more Doctor Who now that hockey's, well, for us, done. Yeah, we had um, hockey. See, the this is a weird thing for me mm-hmm. because never have, have the Oilers playoff run and podcasting ever intertwined because I started doing podcasts with Radio Free Scarl three months after the Oilers' last ever playoff date in 2006. Uh, but alas, the Oilers made the playoffs again for the first time in 10 years, and that kind of consumed our attention. Not to mention the fact that there's actually new Doctor Who airing right now. Yeah, we watched episode six today, Extremist, which we'll both give our opinions on, on our respective different podcasts, so we won't bore you with them here. Um, No, we're here to talk about Doctor Who from a little bit earlier than this afternoon. Yeah, we took so many weeks off because we were very broken up about the tear-jerking finale for Dodo. Oh my god, you you totally stole my line. I was going to say that yes, yes, we actually just needed some time off to to grieve um, because because we're going to miss her so much. I've been sitting on that line for weeks. <laughs> oh, I only thought of it earlier today. No, I've been sitting on it thinking, oh, when we come back, I'll just say that we were away for so long because of Dodo. Mm-hmm. And that's why. I am actually sad, though, because, you know, I I only learned to, to like her mm-hmm. so close to the end. And then she disappeared with exactly zero fanfare. Um, I suppose now I can tell you the... Um, because I don't think that I mentioned it before, that uh, the Deb has some special headcanon about Dodo uh, and her departure. Did she say that on Verity or she did? Well, what is it? Uh, she's mentioned it on Verity, I think a couple of times, just in passing, that uh, that she thinks, and apologies if I actually did say this on a previous episode of Lazy Doctor Who. We remember nothing of what we said before. <laughs> this has been so long. Please forgive us. Uh, hopefully the listeners won't either. Um, that, that Dodo is not actually in the country that the um that the celestial toy maker actually has has got her and she's just waiting for the That's doctor right. to come and get her somewhere so i might if i said that already sorry but no you didn't but i that deb did say it on verity once and everyone like oh that's the worst how would you why would you create such an awful fanfic for poor Dose? <laughs> sitting in a oh that that's tragic but if it's but you know if if the current showrunners decided to pick up on that we could have Peter well Peter Capaldi or whomever comes next uh, go and rescue Dodo that we did think mm-hmm. yeah going back and seeing yeah. Ian Chesterton Susan perhaps and I think Dodo would be in there mm-hmm. uh, either to see how she is or as you say to rescue her from the universe of the celestial toy maker yeah yeah. Ah, Dodo, you'll be missed. I mean, not not a ton, but we'll miss you. Yeah, she she was the she was the um, victim consequence of a changing uh, production team. I think, which was what we'll find over the next uh, few episodes as companions get mixed in and out. Uh, they're pretty much created at the whim of whoever's making the show at the time. Yeah, that's that's sort of what happened with the first Doctor. Uh, again, I will quote Deb in saying that the first Doctor goes through companions like tissues. Kind of does, especially in this season, which we finally wrapped up. Season three is now officially over. We did it. Mm-hmm. We were three out. We're three seasons in. A hundred. Let me do my math. One hundred and twenty episodes of 
classic Doctor Who we've now seen. Wow. Yeah, yes. I didn't count. I just knew that there's 128 in William Hartnell's era, and that means there are only eight <gasps> episodes left in the William Hartnell era. I'd say spoilers, but I think most people probably knew. <laughs> it's an episode <laughs> guide. It's an, you know, it's clearly, yeah, so, mm-hmm. yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Man. But but this is this is a good one, though. I feel like that... I, there's a there's a feeling that William Hartnell sort of fades out toward the end of his run, and I don't see that here. I think he's he's he's. I mean, the story I think is is even better than William Hartnell is in the story, but even within it, you know, he gets to stand up to a war machine. He gets mm-hmm. to, you know, spew techno babble a little bit. He's not so bad off. No, he was decidedly on the sidelines in episode three. I thought mm-hmm. because it's up to Ben and Polly to sort of carry the action in the in the warehouse and then uh the soldiers sort of take over and there's this you know this sort of prototype unit battle scene that happens uh where where nothing really happens at all actually i was i actually i enjoyed that scene well i enjoyed the beginning of that scene i felt like it went on longer than it needed to Mm -hmm. but i i thought it was pretty cool the way it was directed it was a lot of you know action shots knitted together and you had this, you know, crazy fog smoke kind of hazed in front of everything and the war machines, you know, shooting at people and them falling down and, oh, the the wooden crates. So many wooden crates gave their lives for the making of this episode. The wooden crates in this episode are the parked cars in Marvel Cinematic Universe movies because parked cars get thrown about everywhere during every single battle scene between some giant Mm-hmm. supernatural being and the superhero i feel I, I i get the impression that um because there's some there's some we'll talk about the film because the quality of the film is like the thing that we saw was the, the best thing of this uh the you can kind of tell that i think michael ferguson probably wanted to shoot that battle scene on film somewhere so he could sort of like do cutting back and forth and i think it would have been a difficult scene to do on multi-camera studio cameras Mm -hmm. and so he decided let's not do that and let's just go for kind of relatively obscure and do close-ups also i think that the restoration team redid some of those shots because um because this episode technically isn't actually 100% complete. There's a few missing seconds here and there, and they had to sort of splice some stuff together from existing shots, either like sort of zoomed in a little bit, sort of make it look like they were different shots. But So that's why it might have been a little little less coherent than perhaps you would have thought because of that. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, it it wasn't so out of joint that I thought it was hard to follow or not good or anything so nice job restoration team i didn't i i I thought it was fine i thought it was interesting i mean they may have even improved on it who knows they might have done i i watched i only know that because i watched the documentary uh, about it um weeks ago (laughs) i think after we watched episode two though let's continue watching stuff about the war games i thought you know war War machines thank you thinking that we were going to pick it up relatively um soon after but i think this might have probably uh found its way back i think it found its way back from nigeria in 1984 actually this story yes i know along with the time meddler and i think it probably came from australia because a lot of the um the stuff that's missing uh was the censor cuts Mm -hmm. that australia used to cut out and they didn't cut out the word damn it yeah i think (laughs) so it's interesting because let's let's date this because we were just watch extremists earlier today Mm -hmm. 
uh, which featured three or four uses of the word ass in Doctor Who for the first time ever. You know, they said arse a couple mm-hmm. times before, but he said ass. Mm-hmm. Never heard that in Doctor Who before. And uh, and and Sir Charles here says, damn it, man. Um, and I'm trying to think, is that the first time that we've heard damn it in Doctor Who? Which at the time was a relatively, you know, it's it's interesting to see how far curse words so to speak have come along because damn it was a was a word that you never say hell is another word that you never say ass um this is a fascinating tangent that i just thought about i just remember thinking ass um in the end of the world 2005 billy piper as rose said you know she's about to talk about cassandra oh you sound like you're talking out of your ah and they cut her off because oh that's a swear word it's anymore so mm-hmm. damn it first time i think i think don't quote me on that i, I won't you, yeah do you have anything to add to the weird tangent of when swear words were introduced into doctor who uh well i, I do think it's kind of interesting too that this is so far back that um th- i think we find that sometimes the, the the darkness and the the things that we don't necessarily expect to be on a quote-unquote children's show mm-hmm. uh maybe maybe swearing at this time was kind of a similar thing like kids kids can handle that kind of stuff they they sort of thought in the 60s and then you know by the time like the 80s rolled around people were coddling their children more and mm-hmm. you know i feel like damn it would not have flown as easily in say the i don't know peter davison era yeah or yeah maybe even the tom baker era perhaps i'm not too sure even the um you think that with all the soldiers bouncing uh, about, there'd be a lot of gunfire and stuff for more or less the first time in Doctor Who. But lo and behold, Wotan... Um, Wotan. Wotan did something to the guns, and so none of the machine guns fire. So in a way, through plot contrivance, um, we're spared a giant bloody um, gun shootout. I think the uh, budget was spared a big gun shootout. I think, yeah, plot contrivance 100% because there's nothing in there about how this computer should be able to affect the guns and they never explain it. They don't even give us any hand wavy stuff. It's just, they just don't work. I've never mm-hmm. seen anything like it, sir. No, and we don't really find out why, mm-hmm. but I can do that because computers can hack <laughs> your guns. Be warned, America. Be warned, NRA. Computers are here to hack your guns. Oh, boy. Yeah, that's that's why net neutrality is going away. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just that. Um, do we mention that we watched the last two episodes of The War Machines? I can't remember if we did. We're out of practice at this. I don't think mm-hmm. we did. I did say we wrapped up season three, but yes, mm-hmm. we did watch the last two because we feel we owed it to you, dear listeners, <laughs> to talk about two episodes after being away for so long. Anything else about these uh, these episodes that you want to talk about? Well, you mentioned the film. There is some glorious, glorious 35 millimeter film, and I'm going to have you explain why that actually exists, but I am going to explain how I felt about it because I seriously kind of got shivers when, <laughs> it, when it switched over to this crisp perfectly crystal clear shots i mean they could have been you know done last week like it looked so good and then switched back to sort of the the grainy usual version that that felt a little more natural for 60s doctor who but man can you imagine if we had 
beautiful, pristine copies of of all of the the Doctor's Who from from this era. <laughs> yeah, they. Uh, I think they found the original thirty five millimeter negatives of some of the location footage that they shot, and I think there was an internal discussion: should we? dirty it up a bit to sort of match the rest of it which they've done in the past but i think they decided this looks so gorgeous how can we do this how can we possibly do this so they threw it in there and it's it's sort of weird because you sort of see like you know some episodes look better than others because of the 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 restoration wasn't as as successful based on the source material but yeah because a lot of you know the rest of the stuff is just the original telecine stuff and when you compare that to original film goodness me imagine if they kept all the masters imagine if oh i'm i'm imagining i'm drooling a little bit too well it still looks pretty good today though Mm -hmm. that's like a 51 year old piece of television we just watched there oh yeah i mean i'm not complaining about Mm. what we about the rest of it that we have i'm just saying that it would be even more fantastic if we had had everything looking that good but you know that's um, I I want to talk about Ben and Polly. I was going to ask you about Ben and Polly just now. Mm-hmm. What do you want to say about them? I like them so much. Yeah. Just right from the beginning. And like I have said before, this is not my first time seeing this one. But this is my first time watching it, knowing that I'm going to go on and continue to watch the next episodes. Mm-hmm. Because the only other time that I watched this, time or two that I watched it, I wasn't expecting to go on. So I'm really excited now to watch more of Ben and Polly. And I've seen uh, more of them now than I had at the time when I watched this the first time so I'm just excited that this is this is for me um the first time like I'm I'm setting out to get to know these people and I'm excited to see see more and yeah it's just their chemistry is so good even when Polly's being all you know votand up mm-hmm. and I love that she is the clever one and sort of figuring things out and she manages to somewhat overthrow Wotan, Wotan, um, in order to let Ben escape. Like, that was a really neat shot, too. Like, you know, him looking at her, her looking back at him, like the close-up, the zoom-in on her face. Mm-hmm. That, was, that was a neat moment. It's like her humanity sort of takes over at that point, mm-hmm. where she's stronger than the will of Wotan, despite her being under its influence. Mm-hmm. That sort of thing. Yep, yep. And for her, her friend, whom, mm-hmm. I mean, she doesn't really know him all that well yet, but... But she already, they already have, they already have something enough to, to help her overcome, to help her humanity overcome the, the control. And she's got some damn fine makeup. <laughs> that is some sweet swing in 60s makeup mm. that she's got on. Oh, yeah. in her, in her beautiful, like little round face, like mm-hmm. those just dark charcoal smoky eyes. Wow. Just, they're so striking. It's, they've got her styled really nicely. Her hair looks good in her, her little 60s dress. She's, she looks, I'm, I'm, you know, Michael Craze is nothing to sneeze at either. He mm-hmm. looks, he looks pretty good in his little, uh, his <laughs> long sleeve black shirt. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say his little sailor outfit. No, no, no. I like, I like the black. Yeah, the sailor outfit's fine. The hat's cute. Actually, at the end, we had they're, they're both wearing cute hats, but uh, but Polly's hat takes the cake. Michael Craze is an actor who gives it his all, which I like. Uh, like, mm-hmm. and there, there's that scene where he sort of escapes from the warehouse, mm-hmm. you know, and he doesn't like. Perhaps it's a sign that the sets have improved, perhaps over the the <laughs> three years, in that you know, poor poor William Russell that has sort of have to like. I'm struggling against this styrofoam door to try to get out. And then he does. Um, which I suppose is you, because all of his stories more or less were set in space or in olden times. And so you, you couldn't really make 
a Mm -hmm. door out of like everyday materials whereas that door that ben fights against Mm -hmm. is a real door because it's happening in real (laughs) modern day earth and he just he struggles at that door and like with that crowbar Mm -hmm. and i just remember working wow he is like i haven't really seen an actor like give it his all in Mm -hmm. in such a relatively mundane scene before and and it it worked because of that i liked him in that Mm -hmm. yeah he's 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 kind of going full bore quite a bit even in the next scene when he comes and is you know shooting his mouth off at sir Mm -hmm. charles uh which it's I can't decide how much I like it because he's so he's so over the top. But then I think, well, he should be. He just saw something that's mm-hmm. absolutely out of the realm of anything that he's experienced before. Polly, who is somebody that he has, you know, pretty quickly I think come to come to appreciate and like, has been taken over by this, and she's still she's still back there. I do appreciate that Ben is consistently saying. What about Polly? Mm-hmm. Hey, doctor, Polly's still gone. We need to find find out what's going on with Polly. And the doctor is just totally putting him <laughs> off, being like, oh, we can't worry about one person. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, Doctor Who has changed so much in the intervening years because now it often is just about one person. Oof. I what, know. What would what would you know the twelfth Doctor in Clara's era have to say about that? He was practically willing to let the universe burn for one person. This is uh, this is a different Doctor. For all his similarities to the first Doctor, there are some big differences. Although he is in the midst of like trying to solve a problem, you know, he's not just sitting around. He's right. he's like in the he's working. Mm-hmm. He's at work right here, mm-hmm. working at taking down this this uh, this war machine. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, he's a little dismissive though, isn't he? Yeah, he's he's totally dismissive. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I, I can see Peter Capaldi's doctor also being in the middle of something and being like, listen, I have to do this. But I feel like he would also at least seem concerned. Mm-hmm. Whereas the first doctor is just like, eh, she'll come back, my boy. I'm sure she'll show up again. Like, that was one of the things that he said. Yeah. And, and then at the end, you know, Ben says, I'm going to go warn Polly. He says, oh, no, boy, where are you going? You can't do that. He's, he's more protective of Ben. Mm-hmm than he is of Polly, even when Ben is trying to protect Polly. It's kind of an interesting thing. I also noticed that he, um, when he was telling Ben how to do something, he was just like, uh, come here, my dear boy, or my dear Ben. My dear Ben. My dear yeah. Ben, yeah. Which is, so he's, the, the whole, you know, my dear thing is not, that's such a, just, just a first doctor thing. It's not a him coddling women. It's him mm-hmm. coddling everybody. Yep. That's just his way. Mm-hmm. That's just his old daughtering Mm-hmm. First doctor, old man, traveling the universe kind of way. That's who he is. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's fun. Anything else? War Machines? Um, season three? Anything at all? Want to sum up? I don't, do you want to repeat yourself since we haven't been, been <laughs> doing this for a while? Might have forgot what we said first time. Maybe we should have a moment of silence for all those boxes. <laughs> Just I keep thinking about the wooden crates. I know. So sad. I it was it was nice that there were some very conveniently stacked wooden crates on one of the like one of the streets. Yeah, <laughs> it's almost like it made a it made a beeline. I think they've trained that war machine too well, and that he's always go knock over those wooden crates. Okay, now go over there and walk over. And so you notice when he comes out of the warehouse for the first time, he goes, "I am walking. I'm going in a straight line." Also, wooden crates, and then he ah, smash the wooden crates. That's what he did. He's trained, mm-hmm. and I think you surmise that perhaps they had led they had led him down that path where he gets trapped by that sort of electromagnetic field. I bet you probably saw some crates at the end of that alley. <laughs> they go, oh, some more crates I get to smash. Awesome! I could smash some humans, but I hear there's some crates here that need knocking over. I'm there to do it. You need some war machine bait. That's wooden crates. That's <laughs> great. That's, yep. 
<laughs> you load the trap with that. Oh, the other thing that I wanted to say was to talk about the sound effects of the war machines. <laughs> right. Because there are, and I, I don't know that it's necessarily exactly the same sound effect, although I wouldn't be surprised, um, but it's very similar to some of the sound effects that are used in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, the original Gene Wilder version, um, in the factory when he turns on the machine that makes the everlasting gobstoppers. Some of the sound effects sound really, really similar. Really, really similar. I would not be surprised if they're the same because I know that I have certainly heard the prisoner door or is it that or is it Dalek door? I think it's the prisoner one um, when his door opens in, in his in number six in the prisoner um, in James Bond movies around the same time, late 60s. Mm-hmm. And I bet you they probably swapped, moved, you know, maybe they came from stock. Maybe this is, hey, let's save this and you can use it for later or something like that. Now I'm intrigued to watch the clips mm-hmm. of which you speak mm-hmm. to see if those are the sounds indeed from this. I, I would like to because it's not just like one sound. It's a few sounds that are all war machine sounds that are also associated with the you know crazy contraption that makes the everlasting gobstoppers which also has kind of a war machines ish like the way that it you know it's Mm -hmm. mechanically moving and stuff i mean it doesn't actually move around the floor but it's got parts that move i wonder if i actually if if indeed that turns out to be true if i remarked about that very fact when we watched it for the first time a few months ago. Mm. I don't remember when I saw it because I was keen to point out the Doctor Who connections <laughs> like Aubrey Woods who plays the Candyman in the mm-hmm. in the first scenes. He was in in uh, Day of the Daleks. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if I would have thought, ooh, there's a Doctor Who thing going on in this because, you know, it was a musical. Mm-hmm. So I was probably looking to distract myself. Although, oddly, that was a musical that I enjoyed because mm-hmm. it was bonkers and it had that really good song in it. Mm-hmm pure imagination i'm gonna say i had several really good songs the candy man you already mentioned uh really good song that's right i forget that i always associate that with um sammy davis jr well stop oh. <laughs> uh also as for kids you seem to have less trouble with musicals that are aimed at children yeah because they seem to be more fantastical mm-hmm. fanciful sort of thing yeah and and just weirdly out there plus it's like you know one of the rare weird 70s movies that i enjoy that's true Mm -hmm. plus it's it's very cruel to children (laughs) which seems to be a genre that i am a fan of for some reason (laughs) that's true you are well this is a tangent i didn't i didn't expect but yeah war machine sounds uh in okay well we're gonna have to we're gonna have to dig into that and see see what we come up with Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm Um, next up is season four of Doctor Who, uh, which won't be tonight. Um, it's the smugglers. We're back to Telesnaps, alas, for four glorious weeks of, uh, I, I think I have two different recons and I have to do, um, a check to see which, which is the better quality. So I don't, uh, I don't, um, lumber you with, um, the poorer one. So you have to struggle through it and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, that's next up. Do you know anything about the smugglers at all? I'm assuming it features some people who smuggle. You possibly might be correct, but I'm not going to spoil anything here. Yeah, actually, now that I think about it, I I think I thought I knew something about the smugglers, but I genuinely don't. That's 
that is all I know is is the title, and I'm guessing it has Ben and Polly in it because they hippity hopped into the TARDIS yeah. at the end, uh, which which was which was fun. Um, I like that they just popped in. I think it's ridiculous that they both go in and Ben closes the door behind them because why would you do that if you think you're going into a mm-hmm. you know tiny little police box? I always wonder if the door closes automatically because it knows perhaps. Like it often does just sort of close mm-hmm. even when they're not like, oh, let's close the door. I It looked like he was actually turning around to close it though. Well, let's let's be doyalist here and say he was mm-hmm. turning around because there was nowhere else to go in the box because it's just a small mm-hmm. box and he couldn't keep going. So he had to mm-hmm. turn to the right. Maybe that was maybe that was it, or maybe uh, okay. New headcanon. He the door did close on its own, and he was turning around and being like, "What? What? What's happening? Doors closing? Oh mm-hmm. no!" Like that. That could be it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something something like that. Also, the oh. first time I saw this, oh. I didn't catch the the whole key thing. So this time, I noticed when the doctor gives Ben his cloak, mm-hmm. something you hear. The, I heard the noise very yeah. clearly of something metal falling, and I saw Ben like bend over but i didn't i the 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 shot was too much of a long shot for me to catch it and see what it was so i thought it was just a mistake and but then it comes around at the end and that that moment ends up being the reason that ben and polly end up going along with the doctor so thank goodness the doctor was hot at that moment and took off his cloak otherwise he probably wouldn't have ended up with ben and polly on his team or he would have been waiting there forever for dodo too no 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 he turned around he was about to leave without her that's true uh i always found that odd because what's odd about it is that um like i didn't know what's like i was like you i never picked up on what the hell was going on and then but the camera actually pans down to what Mm -hmm. michael craze is doing and then he but then the weird thing is he's sort of like it looks like he's putting something back on the end of Wotan's gun. And for the longest time, I thought that I'm warm. Here's my cloak, which I thought was strange to begin with. Mm-hmm. And then it knocked something off of Wotan, mm-hmm. the war machine rather. And then the Ben was putting it back, you know, which is, has been done on occasion in Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. When an actor knocks off a part of scenery, he surreptitiously puts it back mm-hmm. uh, to carry on to the scene. Uh, but apparently it was the key. Mm-hmm. A, a close up could have been helpful there but that's pretty much shot as live so what can you do right yeah i mean we also saw the doctor like basically banging his head on a set piece at at one moment as well Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yep it's pretty cool Mm -hmm. i like television back back then it's kind of fun made me think actually uh as i was watching episode three about how like you know there's some shots like you know the one shot when uh when william mervyn um is on the phone, Sir Charles, and the camera's like right there. And it's on a Zoom. You can tell the camera's right up next to him. And how there are a couple other, you know, there's a quick shot of somebody loading up some box or something like that in the warehouse, and another shot of this. And that's all done as live. And I begin to think that, you know, the cameras are also moving around and getting shots and zooming in. And TV production in those days the whole thing is like an orchestrated ballet. It's not just the actors who are sort of having to hit their spots, but it's the cameramen also having to do their part. And it's kind of like, yeah, it's like a ballet. Mm-hmm. It's impressive. Mm-hmm. I was I was really thinking about just the, I mean, the blocking that they needed to do for all of the different actors that they had, like when all of the army men are going into the warehouse mm-hmm. and, and you know, the beginnings and, and bits of the fight scenes. I just, I, yeah, it's really, this was an impressive achievement of 
of you know putting together a show considering you know the amount of time that they had to to plan it and shoot it in that's is the go doctor who team i know i think it was russell t davies said in an interview somewhere about directing and i could be wrong about who it was i think it was russell t davies and he said that you know nowadays if you know oh our director is gone you have to direct this you think you know what he could probably muddle through and, and you know mm-hmm. tell the director for talking there he set this shot then we'll do this shot and then with that shot but to direct back in those days not a chance not a chance that takes so much coordination mm-hmm. and planning and precision to get things done like that so that whenever you see you picky viewers out there mm-hmm. whenever you see a little mistake or something that's happening that's like one thing that happened in a scene where 50 other things went perfectly fine mm-hmm. and thus they kept it because 50 to 1 is a good ratio mm-hmm. um it's very very interesting and very tough to do i commend mm-hmm. early doctor who production for doing that Yep. I mean, mm-hmm. this just talking about this brings me back to my uh, my my studio production me class yeah. in uh, in college. And I mean, I, I'm certain that the cameras that we used were not the giant clunky ones that they had in the BBC. But even the ones mm. that we had were pretty big mm-hmm. and pretty clunky. And I remember, you know, moving those around and trying to, you know, get set and zoom when we're shooting basically as live because we weren't supposed to edit too much. We were supposed to treat it as if it was, you know, a regular three camera setup. And mm-hmm. man, that was, you know, we were doing like short little 10, 15 minute student productions. And I can't even imagine like, you know, on, on very like one room set, sometimes we had two sets, like if we were lucky. And that was that was it. Mm-hmm. So this is, yeah, commendable. You're right. Sets. <laughs> we keep remembering things we wanted to talk about. <laughs> and there are a couple of shots, very brief shots of photographic backdrops. Yeah. In like, because uh, they're like a shot of like the news, the news guy in the newsroom and somebody watching something on TV or something like that. That one was weird. It almost didn't even look very good photographic. It was almost like it was just painted, like, you know, a radio and some shelves Mm -hmm. and a plant and stuff. And it's like, it looks so weird. I think it was a photographic blow up. Mm -hmm. But the scene that they were in lasted two to three seconds. Mm -hmm. You know, like some two people listening on a radio or something like that was one scene. And another guy on the phone, which basically bridged the scene in between, you know, the doctor and Mm -hmm. company outside. Now they're back in studio. That sort of helped bridge that little gap. Mm -hmm. So you don't want to build... A, you don't want to build a whole set. B, you don't want to like allocate a whole bunch of studio space to build this set because you don't have much to begin with. So throw the draw, throw the backdrop up. That is 1966 green screen right there, mm-hmm. essentially, which is a set. It was exactly what they would do today if they were needing to do a short scene. They probably wouldn't do a, a big giant set like that. They'd cut corners just like they cut corners then too. Yeah, and like the you know there's no hd back then and i'm certain that most people watching on their televisions were actually seeing it even more fuzzy than we're seeing it today because the screens were smaller and you know the tubes weren't always necessarily so 405 line television oh yeah it was just a different world so yeah people people really couldn't tell they also had sort of the same thing out like the back of the car when they were when they were driving along it was just bouncing up and down Mm mm-hmm and the, and the war machine was doing the same thing too, I think. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was a delightful <laughs> shot of the war machine. Like it was, you started like humming or something. It just looked like it should be its own scene in a totally separate movie. I was I was uh, humming the Naked Gun theme. Uh. 
uh, or police squad theme, I guess, is what it would be, would be because it reminded me of the opening credits of that, where just the camera sort of like perched on top of a police car roof as it you know yeah. goes through many different uh, mm-hmm. vignettes that are not at all related to a police chase. That's what it reminded me of. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a a real newsreader in there. Is that what you said? Yeah, I think it was Kenneth Kendall. I think or Kenneth Randall. I can't remember his name on the credits. I think the guy who reads the news report on the TV. I think was an actual BBC newsreader at the time. If that is indeed the case, and it might be the case, this has so much more in common with Russell T. Davies' era Doctor Who, <laughs> because that, that was always a feature of hit of RTD. Is that to yep. put, you know, sort of like show how this is affecting the world, and sort of also a nice way of, of you know, sort of explaining the plot and things that are happening to the public. Because you throw a newsreader on, and he tells you basically, and that's exactly what they're doing here. Yeah, it really does, because a lot of, of Russell T. Davis's stories happened in London, mm-hmm. happened in current day London, uh, focused around sometimes uh, somewhat well-known buildings. You know, you have, you've got like the post office tower that, oh my God, those shots of the post office tower just made me miss London so much. It's such uh, a cool looking building. Yeah. It is. Goodness me, war machines. <laughs> such a groundbreaking story, right? Computers linking up around the world. <laughs> Mm-hmm. and locking up guns and being just generally distressful and informing the way that Doctor Who would be told 40 years after that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We even actually had like a rogue computer machine that was was going... That was another thing I kind of didn't catch the first couple times I watched this is that the reason that uh, War Machine number nine... Number nine? Number nine. Number nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the reason that War Machine number nine is actually out there to even be captured is because it has just sort of gone off on its own it smashed the transmitter yep. and was just like i don't need your rules dad shot the guy yeah <laughs> yep just just like nope this is the this is the stroppy teenage war mm-hmm. machine who's just like i go off on my own and yeah just just went on a rampage for fun without waiting for orders and if it wasn't for that if it wasn't for mm-hmm. renegade number nine um probably most of london would be dead now I think playing in the head of that war machine the entire time during that episode was Revolution Number no. 9, <laughs> which would come out two years later on the White Album, and that's why he was going mad, because anyone having to listen <laughs> to Revolution Number no. 9. Or perhaps Revolution Number no. 9 is John Lennon's and Yoko Ono's uh, homage to the war machines. <laughs> Ed Kennan accepted. Mm-hmm. They were going to be on Doctor Who in 1965. They all wanted to be. Brian Epstein mm-hmm. shot it down. Mm-hmm. That was his way. That was his way in. Thinking, I'm going to talk about Doctor Hey, Pink Floyd used a snippet of the Doctor Who theme in a 1971 song from um, wow. Metal. Yeah. Huh. So it's not uncommon for the British music elite to, uh, you know, reference Doctor Who. Just saying. Well, well, well. Revolution number nine, all about the war machines. I'm going to listen to that and see if there's any, um, imagine if there's like any off-air recording, like audio in there from the war machines, that would cinch it right then and there. Oh my goodness. It would be not only in, in the Beatles, but Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Whoa, this story is everywhere. Oh, it's everywhere. All right. <laughs> we should we should probably stop now. Yeah. Uh, smugglers next, but uh, who knows when, but hockey is sort of winding down only one game a night, so it might happen in the near future, especially since it doesn't get dark till like 10 p.m. now so we have to do something to while away these Mm -hmm. extended sunlight hours so um 
yeah yeah it's 10 54 p 10 55 p.m yeah. and yes there is still light in the sky this is a weird place to live you guys yep and it's only what may 20th may 21st or something like that yep edmonton edmonton mm-hmm. okay well goodbye goodbye <laughs>